prosecutors have the power, complete power, to decide whether to charge someone, what to charge them with, whether to ask for bail. They often make the decision about whether somebody goes to prison or not. Mary Moriarty spent her entire career trying to keep people out of prison as a public defender. Now, she's running to be Hennepin County's top prosecutor and looking to transform a department she spent decades fighting against. From the Minnesota Reformer, this is Reformer Radio. I'm Max Nesterak. Moriarty was ousted as Hennepin County's chief public defender last year over allegations she shared inappropriate social media posts and created a fearful work environment. Moriarty and her allies, including Attorney General Keith Ellison, charged she was targeted for her racial justice advocacy. She was awarded $300,000 in a settlement, but had to retire from the job. But she doesn't want to retire from law. I wanted very much to contribute to the community in some way, especially in this post-George Floyd moment, when, in, in my opinion, there's never been a better opportunity for change in my 31-year career. If Moriarty wins, Minneapolis would follow cities like San Francisco and Philadelphia in electing a defense attorney to transform the prosecutor's office, replacing a tough-on-crime agenda with one of criminal justice reform. It's Friday, October 1st. Mary, thank you so much for being here today. Of course. I'm a big uh, podcast person, and I followed your podcast since it started, and it's really educational, so I'm really pleased to be happy to be on it. Oh, I appreciate you saying so. Um, So why switch sides and run to be the county attorney and prosecute the types of cases that you defended for so Mm -hmm. many years? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and that's a question I put a lot of thought into. So when I retired from the public defender's office uh, in June, I thought about... Unwillingly. Yes, <laughs> it was unwillingly. Um, but, you know, I tried uh, to fight that. I did the mm-hmm. best I could. I got a large settlement. Um, and ultimately, I think when something bad like that happens to us, we have to... We, I mean, we have choices. We can be bitter about it and angry about it, or we can try to move forward in the best way we can. And so that's what I chose to do. And I I wanted very much to contribute to the community in some way, especially in this post-George Floyd moment, when, in, in my opinion, there's never been a better opportunity for change in my 31-year career. And so I thought, what can I do with my 22 years of trial experience? Uh, I also teach trial skills, and so I know courtrooms very well. And I have a passion for uh, criminal system reform and racial equity. And really the answer that came to me was that running for county attorney would be the best way that I could contribute. Um, I've defended people for many, many years. Uh, I understand their humanity. And I also understand that even the best public defender who works really hard on a case is still really confined by the framework kind of created by the prosecutor because the prosecutors have the power, complete power to decide whether to charge someone, what to charge them with, whether to ask for bail. Um, they may they often make the the decision about whether somebody goes to prison or not. And so you can have a really, really good public defender working really hard, doing everything they possibly can, and their client can go to prison. 
And I think about one particular case which resonates with me, and that's of a 15-year-old young man who was charged with felony murder. In other words, um, he was with somebody else who actually committed the murder. So he didn't commit the murder. Um, he was there at the time, uh, didn't know somebody was going to be killed. So he got charged under this law call, that we call felony murder. There's actually a task force on that right now that the legislature created to figure out whether uh, there should be reforms in Minnesota's felony murder law as there have been in other states. So I think about that young man and I think about the fact that at 15 he got indicted on first degree felony murder, um, which would have been life in prison. He was offered second-degree murder uh, and a 22-year prison sentence. Mm. Uh, he ended up taking that offer uh, and got sentenced at age 15 to 22 years. He did two-thirds of that, which is how Minnesota sentencing works. So he did 15 years of his life starting at the age of 15 as a youth. And so I think about his case, and he's out now, and he's doing great work. Um, and I think about him, and I think about that case, and I think about – if I was a, a public defender representing him, um, he probably would have gone to prison. Um, even if we had had a trial, felony murder laws is pretty tough. But as county attorney, I could say we are not going to charge 15-year-olds with felony murder and uh, make offers that demand that they go to prison. And so that's the kind of transformational reform uh, I think about. Um, that's that's such a possibility now with the county attorney's office. And that's ultimately why I decided I have the trial experience, the management experience, the knowledge to really lead transformational change in that office, uh, which is really desperately needed right now in this county. Well, I'm curious, having spent your entire career trying to keep people out of prison, would you be comfortable trying to put people in prison? Yeah, that's a good question. So so as a public defender, let me take a step back. As a public defender, I certainly understood that that I represented clients that needed to be separated from the community for their safety and the community's safety. So I understand that that will happen. Um, and I accept that. That is certainly part of the position. But the, the, the role of the county attorney is to do the right thing. For the public. And what you have to look at is what advances public safety. And what I know is that what we're doing now does not. And so there are lots of evidence-based practices where people don't go to prison or they have less contact with the system that have less recidivism rates uh, or much lower rates. And we need to be doing those things because the idea is to keep people safe. And if it doesn't keep people safe to send a particular person to prison and we're just doing it because that's what we've always always done or we're afraid of what, you know, the newspaper or the media might say, um, that's the wrong reason. Hmm. So can you talk more about the philosophy, what your philosophy would be? be on prosecution, which crimes would you prosecute and ask for prison sentences and which would you not? Um, so one of the things that I know about the county attorney's office is that they overcharge cases. There's a culture in the system, which I was part of for many years, that um, cases are overcharged. Many people set their cases on for trial because they know they'll get some kind of much better offer if they wait for trial, and that usually happens. 
Um, and that clogs up the system because we have everybody sets or so many people set their cases on for trial. In fact, I was talking to a public defender from from your office uh, last week who said, "This is so frustrating. I had two cases set for trial, both settled for exactly the same offer that my clients made months ago." <laughs> and so, you know, I think. What the prosecutor's office has to do is there has to be a culture change in charge what it is, okay? Not overcharge, not the, the, the idea shouldn't be to get the longest sentence possible in every case. It should be what is the behavior here? Um, what should we charge? Um, and then if, if you have an offer of some kind, make it early on. Be prepared with your case, look at the body cam, and make that offer before trial. Um, so that we can move cases, people can move on with their lives. We also need more options for people. We need more trauma-based or trauma-informed programs. We need many more programs for substance abuse disorder. We need to treat, in my opinion, substance abuse disorder um, from a public health perspective and harm reduction perspective um, instead of the way we do now. Um, but we need more resources there. We need more uh, treatment program options, especially culturally specific options. Uh, and so one of the things I would do as county attorney is to advocate for more of the types of programs, the community-based programs that we need. You know, there's no shortage of differences between you and the current county attorney, Mike Freeman. And I'm guessing maybe you've disagreed with him on most decisions he's made or at least many of them. So I'm curious if there are some cases that stick out in your mind as particularly egregious. Yes, I would say I have examples of cases that are representative of policy. So the in Minnesota, the prosecutor is supposed to give the defense all the what we call discovery, but it's the police reports, the information that the prosecutor has. And there is uh, something that we refer to as Brady. Uh, and that's just the name of a case which says that if the prosecutor has information that might be favorable to the defense, they have to hand it over. And I had we had repeated problems with the county attorney's office about getting uh, what we call Brady material. And the whole concept is that um, you want everybody to get a fair trial. And if there's some information that they can use in the trial, they have a right to see it. Another area where I disagree greatly is about the role of the county attorney's office in police accountability. Most people think that there's somebody looking at body cam um, from all the police departments. And that's just not the case. There are thousands of hours of body cam. It, the people who see the most body cam are actually public defenders and prosecutors. And, you know, police, every entity in the system is responsible, I think, for being accountable to everybody else. And police, you know, even with police chiefs with really good intentions, progressive police chiefs, aren't going to be able to accomplish reform themselves because they often don't see what happens on a daily basis, right? Um, when you're looking at body cam, uh, you see the day-to-day -day interactions that police have with people in the community. And you can see the 
you know, the kind of the Derek Chauvin's developing, you know, maybe somebody doesn't violate somebody's constitutional rights, but it's a violation of police policy. When you threw somebody on the ground, when you put your knee in their neck, when you pointed the gun at their head, you know, there are all kinds of things we see. And so what I would do as county attorney is if we saw something like that, we would be talking to that officer and talking to the police chief and making sure um, police leadership knew about that. I've read some of the arbitrator's decisions, um, overturning police chief's decisions to to fire cops. And, and typically what happens is there isn't much documentation of previous behavior. And then there's they try to fire somebody and the arbitrator says, well, there's been nothing before this. Well, if the the police leadership had this body cam video, evidence of a police officer violating their policy numerous times or however, and they were documenting that, that would help uh, police chiefs hold officers accountable. You know, prosecutors, the county attorney's office has to work with police closely on bringing prosecutions against people who've committed crimes. If you are and there's a culture within police departments of this blue wall of silence of we're on the same team, we have to look out for one another. How do you maintain a positive or even a working relationship with police and police departments if um, if you're going to their bosses and telling on them? Yeah, and, and I would say um, probably the first stop there is talking to that police officer individually, too. Um I think you have to maintain a professional relationship. I cannot tell you how many times over the years I have had prosecutors say to me um, words to the effect that they actually represent the police, and they do not. The county attorney's office does not represent the police. They are witnesses, um, just like anybody else, and they should be treated with professionalism and looked at professionally. Now, um, you know, anybody in any profession knows who the bad people are in their profession. And the way you really kill morale is by a leader of your management is if you don't take care of that, if you just let that go, because people get frustrated and wonder why you're not holding that person accountable. And so any way that I as prosecutor can help with that accountability, I think will be actually appreciated by other police officers. I know right now, um, things are really tense with police, and I think they're kind of um, in a bunker mentality. But I, I was chair of the Behavioral Health Committee in Hennepin County for six years, and I worked with police there. And if you talk to them kind of offline individually, they know who the bad cops are. They don't want them around. Um, they don't come out and publicly say that. Um, it is a profession where... Um, you know, I, I did talk to actually uh, somebody who retired a while ago from MPD who said that he had reported to his supervisor seeing inappropriate things. And his supervisor said to him, would you like backup on your next call? Um, so it, it, it's a different culture, um, but it is a culture that needs change. And, and I do believe that there are officers that want that. Um, there are also other officers who don't, um, and, and, you know, that may create some problems, but if we were really going to have transformational change here, um, we need to be doing all of these things that help hold police accountable, 
um, as well as the prosecutor's office. I mean, we are all accountable for the system that we have right now, all of us. And we all need to take a look inward and see what we can do um, from our perspective offices about changing that. Hmm. Are there, um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Are there people who are sitting in prison right now who you don't think should be there, who you think were wrongfully convicted, and would you work to um, overturn those convictions that Freeman may have won? Yes. Um, I am convinced there are, um, and particularly in that period of the 90s um, and early 2000s, which, which is uh, where the Mayan Burrell case came out of. Um, I, I believe this because I tried a lot of cases. I watched what happened um, after Jerry Hoff, the police officer, was shot and killed, that there was a lot of leeway given to police. And there were, we were in the middle of what people referred to as murderapolis. And there was a lot of media sensation about gangs. Not that gangs didn't exist, but a lot of, I would say otherization in, uh, of young black men. Um, and I think people, jurors included, were frightened of gangs and drugs and everything, <laughs> all of those kinds of things. Um, because when I tried those cases, I, I know that to be the case. I have one particular client that I'm convinced is innocent, actually, and his case has been accepted by the National Innocence Project, and they're working on that now. Um, but I do believe that there are cases where uh, the county attorney's office relied on um, identification by people who were offered incentives. And by that, you know, sometimes people call them snitches, but having represented people, if you say to somebody who's looking at many, many years in prison, hey, you know, if you tell me somebody did that, my umbrella did this, we'll cut, you know, 17 years off your sentence. It's a rational decision to make, um, to say, sure, um, I don't want to go to prison for however many years. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll give you that. So, so there's certainly some cases like that that I think are worth uh, taking a look at again. You know, Minneapolis is seeing the worst spike in violent crime in a generation since the 90s, since Murderopolis. What is the county attorney's role in addressing that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Minneapolis is seeing that just as every other major city is seeing it. So it's not something unique to Minneapolis. Most people seem to agree that this this increase in violent crime is about the pandemic. Um, it's about youth not having anything to do. Uh, it's about the lack of jobs when everything's shut down and a little bit about um, the legitimacy of the police too. I mean, there's a saying that the streets know who did things. Um, and so we have three black children who were shot in the head and now we have we've had a fourth one um you know i know people know who did this um but they're not cooperating um even with a, a very large um they're offering a reward mm -hmm. um so what what can the county attorney do i believe very much in evidence-based violence prevention and intervention programs like 
um, a program where if somebody is shot, um, people come to the hospital and try to intervene. It's based on a model that says that violence is contagious, just like disease, um, designed by a doctor, by the way. And so the idea is to keep it from multiplying. So I think there's a lot of prevention that can be done. But as county attorney, um, I think my part of my role is to advocate for those programs and for funding um, where we we need it. It doesn't help anybody. I mean, after the violence happens and somebody's been killed, um, yes, there's a responsibility to prosecute that case, but it doesn't help the person whose life was lost. Um, and frankly, the person who did it. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've represented a young man usually, and I have to tell them, if you're convicted of this, you are looking at serving life, 30 years, something like that. Um, that's a terrible message to have to deliver to somebody who made a really dumb, impulsive decision. So yes, there is certainly responsibility for prosecuting those cases, but if we invested in prevention, um, in intervention, I think we could reduce that violence a lot. But doesn't a conviction also um, interrupt that cycle of violence? Because if people aren't seeing that the justice system does not respond when my friend gets murdered and police are not investigating, they're not holding that, they're not arresting, they're not holding that person accountable, um, prosecutors are not prosecuting that cases, mm -hmm. they don't feel like justice is being served, the justice system doesn't work for them. But if you, but if the prosecution were prosecuting those cases, were getting convictions, and people felt like they could rely on the justice system, doesn't that also interrupt violence? I think those are two different things. It, it certainly interrupts violence um, by the person who was responsible for the violence, prosecuting them um, if they were incapacitated, put in prison, that kind of thing. But I think we have to understand uh, and really recognize that. For many in our community, the system has never worked, ever, um, and that they don't think the system really has something to offer them. Yes, prosecuting an individual in a case stops that person, can stop that person from committing violence, but is that a deterrent to other people? No. I want to talk about Kim Potter. She's the Brooklyn Center police officer who shot and killed mm -hmm. Dante Wright. Um, Hennepin County wouldn't be the Hennepin County attorney wouldn't be responsible for charging her. But I'm curious, you know, if you were elected and if you, you know, were in charge, what would you have charged her with? Oh, um, I thought you were going to ask a different question. So what I first wanted to say was there seems to be or there was an agreement that didn't work out very well in that case where the Hennepin County attorney has made arrangements to or ask other county attorneys right. to make the decision. There's like a mutual aid where Washington County will yes. prosecute cops so you yes. avoid that conflict of interest? I would not do that. Oh. Um, because, and in, in I think particularly the last one that happened was Dalal Eid. Um, the Dakota County attorney declined to prosecute. And nobody in Hennepin County elected the Dakota County attorney to make that decision. So there's no accountability there. And so I would not be part of that agreement. The, what the, would you have done in Dalal Ed's case? Would you have prosecuted? Oh, so, so, so a couple of different questions. I would not have sent it to anybody else. Mm -hmm. I would have made that decision. Although 
Um, I mean, trust in the county attorney's office is so low right now. And even if I was elected, I know that there are people who would trust me, but there are also people who have no reason to trust prosecutors, anybody in that role. And that is why so many people have been calling for the attorney general to prosecute cases. He, however, does not have the resources to do it. And so what I'll say, and this is really important, I'm glad you asked me this question about Dalal Eid. Um, so what we know about that case is um, they had body cam video, we're told, where he was firing shots at them and they fired back. In making a decision like that, you have to demystify the law for people. Um, you have to be explaining to people what the law says now is that we have to look at um, – the moment when deadly force was used. We are not allowed at this point to look at any escalation leading up to that and only um, what happened at that very time. And so in a case where you have video where he is shooting at them and they shot back, um, it would really not be possible to uh, prove beyond a reasonable doubt that, that they exceeded their um, lawful use of force. So, um, no, char you wouldn't have brought charges against the officers in the Dal Al E case. Not from what I know. Um, and what about Kim Potter? What What would you have charged her with? You know, I. So, it's hard to say, and this is why. When you are a prosecutor, you need to look at all of the evidence. And I haven't. Actually, what I'd really like to see is the body cam of the other officers involved that show what her actions were. Um, I think it's appropriate that she was charged. I think you need to have all of the information to decide exactly what charge is appropriate. Mary, thank you so much for being sure. here. Sure. Thank you for inviting me to be here. This show was produced by me, Max Nesterak and edited by Patrick Kulikin. Special thanks to Johnny Vince Evans, who composed our theme. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends and family to subscribe to Reformer Radio. You can drop me a line at max at minnesotareformer, all spelled out, dot com. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.